What is the wonderful story? Well, you see, for you and I, it's evidence of God's faithfulness. It's evidence of Him keeping His promises. We read about it. We heard about it today, right? On that day, you know, when it was time, she delivered a baby. He was born of a what? Virgin, right? And all of this is God's faithfulness, His promise to mankind. When did we first hear about that promise? Who can tell me when God first made that promise? Where in the Bible would we read that God said, I am going to send a Redeemer, a Deliverer? Genesis, right? After the fall of man. After man sinned and rebelled against God. And after he was cut off from life, the source of life, God said, I'm going to send someone to save you. And he said it in a somewhat mysterious way. Because he said, right, to the serpent, you're cursed. You are cursed. You know, it's interesting, when he pointed to Adam, he never said, Adam, you're cursed! But he said, the ground is cursed for what? Your sake. Because of what you have done. But to the serpent, he says, you're cursed! I've got a fix for you. I'm going to put enmity between you. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And between... Her seed, yours. And he is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. But he is going to have victory over you. And he promised, God Almighty, he promised that he was going to send the Redeemer and she, he was going to be born of a virgin. Now this is, this is amazing. And he also said the seed of the woman... You know, he made it very distinct and very clear. It wasn't going to be by the will of man. It wasn't going to be the son of Adam, if you will. It was going to be the son of God. An amazing thing. You know, when the angel appeared to Mary, he said to Mary, something marvelous is going to happen. You're going to give birth. It's going to be an amazing and a miraculous thing. It's something that has never happened before. And you know what? It'll never happen again. Never in the history of mankind had something so wonderful happened that a virgin would give birth. Give birth to the Son of God, the only begotten. God's promise. It was a fulfillment of God's promise on that day. It was evidence of God's faithfulness. He made a promise and He kept His promise. It was a marvelous demonstration of God's ability to time His every action and every work in perfect, perfect harmony with the time the season, the fulfillment of dates and times. Wonderful ability of God. He's never one minute behind and He's never one second late. You know, sometimes you and I start fretting. (laughs) 
you know, when we're depending on God for doing something, we start to fret and we twiddle our thumbs and all of a sudden, you know, our teeth go to our, our nails go to our teeth and we start chewing and chomping. And yet there has never been an instance, not one instance where God was one second late. He's never premature. Some of us would prefer him to be a little bit premature. <laughs> oh man. Here I am, the ripe old age of 21, and he hasn't brought my spouse into my life yet. No. Fret and worry and fret and worry. And who are we fretting and worrying about? Whether or not God will actually keep his promise. (laughs) We need to worry more about whether or not we're going to keep our promises, right? You heard of that great movement that started so many years ago. The promise keepers. I can say with absolute certainty that all those who declared that they would keep the promise have broken it. (laughs) The one who said, my promises are yea and amen. No one can keep the Lord from doing his intents and his purposes. What he has designed to do, he will do. And this was evidence of it. Do you know his promise that he was going to send his son into the world, that he was going to send the Redeemer, that he was going to send someone into the world to save the world, to take upon himself the sin, to redeem. He told it to people. But do you know, he also wrote it. What do we read from the psalmist when he says, The heavens declare the glory. What what does that mean exactly when we think about the heavens declaring the glory of God? What are we thinking about when we see that? We say, it is marvelous to look up in the sky, the starry, starry sky at night. It is marvelous to look up there and see the myriad, the countless, innumerable numbers of stars spread from horizon to horizon. Count them, if you will, right? A lot of them. And it is wonderful. And it does, in one respect, declare the glory of God. But in another respect, it tells a story, doesn't it? You know, in Genesis, if we go back there, into the first chapter of Genesis, he would talk about the stars being what? Given for what? Signs. Seasons. And you know... We look up in that starry sky and the uneducated eye can't really discern one from the other. But you know, Scripture would say each star has its own particular what? Glory. Each one has its own particular place. Do you know, for years and years and years before GPS ever entered onto the scene, the stars were what people used to navigate by. You know, when I was a Boy Scout, many, many years ago, back when the uniforms were nothing but loincloths and we carried axes, many, many years ago, I learned something, an amazing thing. I learned that there's a star up in the heaven that's called the North Star. And whenever you're lost, and you need to know what direction you got to go, and you find that star up in the heaven, you know if you're going north. And if you know if you're going north, do you you know that you can tell every other direction? I don't know if you knew that or not. But it's true. If you're looking north, what direction is on your right hand? 
Well, you would know. If you're looking north, what direction is on your left hand? Well, you would know. And if you're looking north, what direction is behind you? It's a wonderful thing. God has so wonderfully recorded his promise that do you know on that day in Matthew, we would read about the wise men coming and they said what? Where is he that is born? King of the Jews. We have what? Seen his star. This is an amazing thing. What do you mean you've seen his star? The Jews there who knew all the prophecies of God, who had the whole Bible, who could read it and quote it and tell you everything about this and that and the other thing, they didn't see a star. And yet it was prophesied. It was told. Matter of fact, the interesting thing was, there was somebody sitting on the throne of Israel that wasn't even a Jew. Did you know that? Herod, we would know, was a Nidumean. And you know, if we were to look at that word a little bit, we would realize that Herod, not only being a Nidumean, was actually a descendant of Esau. How is it that he who sold his birthright, he sold his birthright, he had no, no right to the throne at all whatsoever. We know that, right? Because he sold his birthright. What did he sell it for? $23,853? What did he sell it for? The 90-way, same-as-cash, layaway plan? What did he sell it for? He sold it for a bowl of beans, porridge. But he sold his birthright. Now you might say, well, Jacob deceived him out of it, which is true, but nonetheless, he got it, and he got it fair and square. And you know that Esau sought continuously to repent for what it is that he had done. He wanted his birthright back. Did you know? He never got it. That birthright was transferred to Jacob. But he wanted it back. And do you know when Rome was taking over the world, Herod saw his opportunity. And he joined forces with the Romans. And he became attached to the Romans. And so the Romans said, well, an Edomite and Israelite... It's not difference. Yeah, no. There is a difference, though, isn't there? Took part of the power of Rome and ended up sitting on the throne of Israel. And you know, when those wise men came and they said, Where is he that is born? King of the Jews. It made Herod a little bit nervous. Isn't it interesting? He was sitting on the throne. He's the one that had all the power. He had the entire Roman army behind him. He had all the power and influence that the throne could possibly afford. And he was paranoid. And I want to use this term. I hope it doesn't offend anybody. He was freaked out. He couldn't contain himself. Because he knew that he gained the throne by subtlety and subterfuge. He knew that he was usurping the authority on the throne. He knew that the power of that throne did not belong to him, but it belonged to the true king. One who would be born, not of the will of men, not by our design, not by our craftiness, not by our ability to orchestrate circumstances, but he would be born by God's plan. You know, Herod thought he was being really swift. He thought he was being really, really smart. So he told the wise men, he said to the wise men, he goes, go and search him out. 
And when you find him, please send word back to me because I want to go and, 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 and worship him. Uh, that's what I want to do. And so the wise men went off and they looked and they found him. But did you know God had so ordained that he would appear to those wise men and he would tell them, don't go back. Don't go back and tell Herod because Herod doesn't really believe what you believe. And you see, these wise men, it's another interesting thing, just, just to touch on it a little bit. They said they saw the star and they followed the star. Where would they have ever gotten that information had God not intended for there to be a written record? Maybe not written, as you and I might think written, but written nonetheless, written in the stars. Do you know that constellations have interesting names, don't they? Have you heard the one called Virgo? That's an interesting one, right? Pisces, right? You know, all these things, they have names. And do you know, astronomy, the study of the stars, is not the same thing as astrology, where people would take and try to read their horoscope and figure out, oh, well, if the planets are aligned, then maybe I should wear purple today, or, you know, maybe it's white, or maybe I shouldn't go to work today. Because, you know, this is ridiculous. And this is a perversion. And this is not to be confused with astronomy, which is a, a legitimate science and a legitimate understanding of stars and a legitimate understanding of how they're placed in the heavens in the season. You know, we understand different ages. You would all remember, well, maybe if I say this, you'd know how old I am. The age of Aquarius, you know, that song that was so popular. Well, this was a particular age or a particular time. But you see, these wise men had that information. They knew that there was a coming king. There was a coming king of the Jews. And they knew that he was going to be great and mighty and powerful. And so they, when that star was in the sky, they knew he had arrived on the scene. And they came looking for him. There is a record of God's plan of salvation. And it has been recorded. You know, there was a few years back, maybe 10 years ago, I think it was, when the United States first became involved in its war in Iraq. Help me out on the time. Is it about that time anyways? After they went in and they were able to uh, get, uh, get Saddam off, they had the forces there, they knocked down the statue, and then President Bush then, you remember he said something, he said when he did that, he said, mission what? Mission accomplished. He did what he was intended to do. Mission accomplished. Well, I want to tell you, there's been a whole lot of fighting that went on a lot longer after he said, mission accomplished. But do you know, when God sent his son into the world, right? You remember the verse of scripture, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know that when the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary, after suffering inestimable agony and grief and pain, before he gave up the ghost, he said something. It is finished. And you know, it was the same as saying, mission accomplished. That promise that he made to send the Redeemer, that man and God could once again be reconciled, that we who were cut off from the source of life, from the beginning in the garden, the rebellion that took place with Adam, cut off from the source of life, now could be re Reconciled, reconciled, brought back together, restored the relationship between God and men. Therefore, being justified by faith, what? We have peace with God 
through Jesus Christ, right? He was that propitiation. He was the one who was the atonement. He made peace. He made the way of peace. There's two kinds of people you would know. Children of God. Children of wrath, right? Two kinds of people. Those who are still in Adam and those who are in Christ. You know, you and I who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have trusted in Him and put our confidence in His ability to have dealt with our sins and to have created this relationship between us and God, those of us who trust and believe in Him, we are no longer the children of wrath, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? That's a wonderful promise because, you know, anybody who is outside of that, there is condemnation. And it's not as if God condemns them. But they themselves condemn themselves by rejecting the gift that God gave. What a wonderful gift it was. You who were dead in your sins and trespasses, hath He quickened, made alive, reconnected. Do you know, John 14 would tell us that the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we don't need the tree of life that was in the garden anymore. We have a, a, a source of life and a source of our life. Those of us who were dead in our sins and trespasses, having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, are quickened in Christ. We now have life, new life in Christ. I can look out and I can see your faces and I can have a sense of affection for each and every one of you having talked with you and spoken with you and shaken your hands and some hugged and kissed and loved. I will tell you this. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God still abides upon you. It's not a good place to be. You can fake me out. You can fake your mom and dad. You can fake your neighbor. You cannot fool God. He knows where your heart is. He knows whether you have believed and trusted. He knows. And it is a personal and an individual relationship between you and God. And you must come to terms with it. Nobody can come to terms with it for you. I can preach it to you. I can tell it to you. You can read it in God's holy word. You can read it in the magnificent, wonderful creation that God has made. You know, there are people who go around telling you that God wants you to blindly believe. God has never asked anyone to blindly believe or to blindly have faith in Him. Has He given you evidence of His existence? Oh, yes. Has He given you evidence of His love? Oh, yes. Has He given you evidence? Yes. And one day when you stand before Him and you say, well, it wasn't really clear to me. I don't know that I had the real picture. You will be judged according to what you did with the evidence that God gave you. And He has given evidence. Given evidence of His love. Given evidence of His intentions for you. You know, it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to life in the Lord Jesus. Is that right? So I don't know where your heart is today. But I know where God's heart is today. God's heart today is for you to trust in Him and believe in Him and to come to salvation in Him, newness of life. That's God's heart. I don't know where your heart is today. Maybe this world still has some attraction for you. Maybe your hope is still in this world. Perhaps you think, if I just get this, or I just have that, if I just achieve one more thing, perhaps you're saying this thing. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. 
All you have is right here and right now. The word of God would say, today is the day of salvation. I would submit to you that that is God's plan, is that each and every one would come to a saving knowledge of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, now that we know the gospel, we have in effect become what? Ambassadors or stewards of the gospel. And you know, we're responsible now that we know now that we have believed, now that we have trusted, we're responsible to do something with the knowledge that we have. And that knowledge is to share it with all we come in contact with. Now, I don't want to take you too much farther, but I do want to share with you a little bit about the effort that uh, Yoli and I are going to be uh, uh, involved in, engaged in, in our work in Korea. I want to show you a little bit about what has transpired in the last couple of months. And in about 10 minutes, can you bear with me for about 10 more minutes? All right. I've got, there it is. Beautiful. Well done, brother. All right. We've got the presentation in front of you. and You would see Mission Korea. It's not mi mission accomplished. Mission just begun. Hmm? One thing I will say about my...